Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. Let me start tonight by reminding us all where we're at right now in the Bible, because we're, we've been working our way through the Old Testament systematically, verse by verse, for a very long time. It's taken years and years. And in the process, what I'm hoping people are picking up from it is how the Old Testament works. We're trying to put it in some kind of chronological order so that we understand the history of Old Testament Israel and God's dealings with Old Testament Israel and then God sending the various prophets. We have reached that point in the sequence of kings as we've been looking at First and Second Kings. We got to about chapter 24, the time of Jehoiakim. That is the time when Jeremiah is on the stage of history and he is prophesying. But we have seen God has sent a succession of prophets, which is going to come up tonight, that God has been speaking to Israel over and over again, that he has given them his law, he has given them his prophets, and so he has laid out an expectation for them, and they have continued to go their own way. They've continued to rebel. And so we are right at that point in history, roughly 600 years before Jesus where the uh, Babylonian captivity is going to take place now. The Assyrian captivity is already underway. The northern ten tribes have been taken into Assyria. And now Nebuchadnezzar is coming down on Judah and on Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of Judah that God is going to punish them, but that they have one last chance to repent to turn back to God, and maybe he will turn from all the evil that he's going to do, that he has said he is going to do. So the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Jeremiah prophecies themselves, including a prophecy of a new covenant to come. But tonight, I thought we'd look at some of the narrative in the book of Jeremiah that will give us some idea how the people of Israel, the people of Judah, responded to Jeremiah because they did not respond well. When I'm talking to my preacher friends, we very frequently point at Jeremiah because he is somebody in the succession of people who have ever spoken for God on planet Earth. He is someone who spoke for 40 years and never had a convert. And so that's reassuring to people like us when we're talking to small Reformed church groups it's good to know that at least if we have two converts, we're ahead of Jeremiah. So that's a good thing to know. Jeremiah was telling the people of Judah exactly what God had said. Now, in this time period where Jeremiah is prophesying and Nebuchadnezzar is about to come down, Nebuchadnezzar is going to take the people of Judah in a couple of waves, a couple of waves of deportees. And in the first wave of deportees, he's going to take the well-educated, the kind of high and mighty, and the princes of the land. And that's the period when he takes Daniel into Babylon. And so we're going to have to look at at least the historic sections of Daniel as we continue through 2 Kings. 
The second deportation happens years later and Ezekiel is taken in the second deportation and so the prophecies of Ezekiel start coming forward to Judah as they're in the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel, as you know, looks back on the things that Jeremiah has said and takes from Jeremiah the fact that they are going to be in Babylon for 70 years. So he prays to God that that God will keep his word and that they will only be in Babylon for 70 years. And that's why God responds with 70 times 7 and tells Daniel all these future and all these eschatological promises and prophecies. So there's a lot going on right here. And also in this time period, most Bible commentaries, most Old Testament historians say that right around this time is also where the short book of Obadiah shows up. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. But it talks about Samaria and it talks about that deportation, but then it also predicts the, the coming of the Babylonians. And so it seems to be right in this time period as well. So this is all really important, and I hope you understand the process that we've been going through for the last couple of weeks as we've, well, couple of months as we, well, okay, couple of years as we've been going through this. I hope you understand how we're jumping back and forth from, at this moment, 2 Kings and Jeremiah because they, they fit together at this moment. After we look at these three chapters we're going to look at tonight, we're then going to go back to 2 Kings, and we're going to see Jehoiakim then fade away from the history of Israel. And then Nebuchadnezzar is going to set up another puppet king, and we're going to get into the time of Hezekiah, ultimately, after we go through Jehoiakim. Uh, we're going to get to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is going to take us back again to Jeremiah, because some of Jeremiah's prophecies happened during the time of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is the last king of Judah. That's the end of the line of Jerusalem kings after David. And then we're going to see the time of the Persian kings. That takes us into the time of Esther. That takes us into Nehemiah. And that takes us into Zechariah. And so that takes us into that period. Haggai, all of that. So we've still got all that to look at. And then finally, we'll get to Malachi, and then for 400 years, God is silent. So I'm hoping over the course of time, if God's willing and I live and we all keep meeting here, eventually we'll get to that point at the end of Malachi where God just says nothing. And then we will understand why it's so important that the New Testament opens with the the declaration that God is speaking again, that he has sent somebody, that, that there's a prophet, John the Baptist originally, and then Jesus after John the Baptist. After 400 years of Israel not even keeping their worship in the temple, they had, they had temple furniture and they had high and holy things in their possession that history tells us they didn't do anything with. They, put, they stored them away. They put them in rooms and said specifically, we have to wait until the prophet tells us what to do. So for 400 years, roughly twice as long as the United States has been a free nation, that's how long God was silent to people he had spoken to for a very, very long time. 
but he spoke to them, sent them prophets, sent them his law. He blessed them. He took them into their land. He kept all the promises that he had made to them and then said, I will continue to be good to you as long as you do things my way. And they did not do things his way. And right at this juncture where he is now going to take Judah out of their land, having already taken Israel out of their land, now he's taking Judah out of their land, and that's why, as we saw last week, why it's so important that right at that juncture, God says, a new covenant. I'm going to establish a new covenant. Not like the old one, not like the one that I made with Israel when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. I'm going to make a new covenant with them, and that's why it's so important that when Jesus appears on the face of history as the new lawgiver, as the new prophet, as the new king, that he then dies and before he does says that his blood is represented in that cup of wine when he says, take this cup, all of you. It is the cup of the new testament in my blood, the new covenant in my blood. So the very things that we have been looking at in Jeremiah right now, prophesied and predicted, that have to happen are the things that Jesus accomplished after God was silent for 400 years and then Jesus appeared and accomplished all that. And so based on that, I said all that to say this, given God's very specific and very perfect batting average so far, I must think of a different term besides batting average, but because he's been so accurate that far and so many of these prophecies are just so plain on their face and then satisfied and fulfilled in history, because of that we have every confidence that the whole rest of the prophecies of these prophets have to come true. All the future stuff, all the eschatological stuff, all the stuff we're going to see in Daniel, that we're going to see in Ezekiel, the stuff that we've been seeing in Jeremiah about promises of restoration and the regathering of Israel and the kingdom to come. And all of that has to happen because all the things that God said were going to happen shortly, like Babylon, well, that happened. And that they would return he prophesies that through Isaiah, even named Cyrus by name 150 years in advance. And then Cyrus becomes king of Persia. Who would have guessed? And then he lets the Jews come back and, and rebuild Jerusalem, just like God said. And then because God said that he was going to, as it was prophesied through Jeremiah, or even through Ezekiel, certainly through Isaiah, that God was going to send a sacrifice of his son, then that happened in history. And because all those things occurred right on time, calendrically perfect as God laid them out, then we can have confidence that even though we're living in this space of time right now, where it seems like God isn't sending prophets and isn't as communicative as he was back here during the time of Jeremiah, we still have every confidence that when this time of relative silence from God, when it breaks, it's going to break big. The same way it broke big last time, where God was silent for 400 years, and then boom, Jesus is on the planet, and there's an outbreak of miracles, and there's an outbreak of prophecy, and telling things about God that nobody had ever known before. That's the same way it's going to be here, that there's this, this relative quiet right now, but we know that he's going to burst on the scene 
we know that at some point the sun and the moon and the stars are going to go dark. And we know that the sign of the Son of Man is going to show in the heavens. And we know that he's going to come back on the clouds of glory and he's going to take his church away to be with him and see his glory. And we know that he's going to conquer the kingdoms of this world and set up his kingdom that's never going to be defeated. All of these things are still hanging out there waiting to be done and I think they are as sure and certain as all the prophecies that we have already seen fulfilled in time. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Now we can read for a while. Turn to Jeremiah 26. As I said, we are still in the period of time in 2 Kings where Jehoiakim is king. Jehoiakim is only king for 11 years. But during that time, Jeremiah is coming to him trying to bring about national repentance. Not partial repentance, not a few good people, but he's trying to bring about national repentance. And so we're going to look at chapter 26 so that we can see how well the people appreciated these prophecies of Jeremiah. That when Jeremiah came and said, God is real and God's a judge and God is out to get you, that they reacted exactly the same way that people react today when we say God is real and God's a judge and, and God is against you. The things that you're doing now are not right in God's eyes. Well, people now react the same way people did then, which is just shut Jeremiah up. If we can just get him to be quiet, then we won't have to think about this anymore. Chapter 26, Jeremiah, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. Speak all these words that I have commanded you to speak them and do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and Everyone, see this is the national repentance part, not a few people, but perhaps all of them, that's what would be required, perhaps they will listen and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may repent of the calamity that I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. And you will say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened. Then I will make this house like Shiloh and this city. I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth. Now the reference there to Shiloh, I don't know if you remember, but at one point, uh, when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought toward Jerusalem, it rested at Shiloh for a while, and there was a temporary tabernacle at Shiloh. And then the Philistines attacked it, and that's the time when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. And when that happened, God abandoned his tabernacle at Shiloh. So what God's saying here is the house of the Lord at Jerusalem is going to be like Shiloh. The way I abandoned it, I'm going to abandon this house and I'm going to turn the whole nation. I'm going to curse the whole nation 
so that the whole earth knows of the curse of this nation. That's what I'm going to do unless you listen to me. And he makes his case, I have sent you prophets time and time again, over and over again. And that's why we've been reading all these prophets, all these Old Testament prophets, the major and the minor prophets. They've all been speaking with one voice. They've all been saying, turn, repent, come back to God, or he's going to punish you. So verse 7, and the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him saying, thank you. Thank you so much for telling us this. (laughs) They seized him and they said, you must die. Has anything really changed? I mean, even though these days they're not out for, at least not in America, they're not out for blood, but there are corners of the world where Christians are dying for their testimony, and it's because the world has never liked the proclamation of God. And when people stand up and say the things that God has required that we say, notice that Jeremiah was told, go tell them everything I told you, tell them all of that, and don't leave out a word. And so the people who speak on behalf of God are supposed to speak God's word and not leave out any words. And the result is the people of the earth hate them and want to shut them up or get them off the airwaves or whatever they got to do to just stop it, even to the point of, in the history of this land and others, even to the point of death. When Jeremiah finished speaking all these words, that God had commanded him to speak to the people, the priests and the prophets, and all the people seized him, saying, you must die. What have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered about Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. And when the princes of Judah heard these things, They came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord, and they sat in the entrance of the new gate in the Lord's house. Then the priests and all the prophets spoke to the officials and to all the people, saying, A death sentence for this man, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard in your hearing. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will change his mind about the misfortune which he has pronounced against you. So this is their last chance, one last call. And I think it's gracious of God that before he pours out this final dissembling of of Judah, this final incursion of Babylon down on them, the bloodshed and the captives that are going to go into slavery, before he curses them one last time, he sends Jeremiah to say, even now, even after everything you've done wrong, even now, if you'll repent, if you'll turn nationally, if everybody will come back to God, God will change his mind. Now, I think that God knew the same way that he said to Moses, uh, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, but I'll harden his heart. 
and he's not going to let them go. But go tell him. I think that God knew the whole time that they were not going to repent. And we're going to see that coming up in a later chapter. But God still holds out the offer. And I think it was a genuine and a sincere offer. I think if they had all repented, God would have turned. But God knows what's in people. He knows what people are like. And he knew that these people were not going to just get up one day and say, Oh, you know that sin thing we've been doing? And those foreign gods? And all that drunkenness and debauchery and all our sexual proclivities, we should give all that up and we should live a holy life. No, people don't do that. It takes God to make people do that. So after their own heart, Jeremiah said, if you'll turn, then God is going to turn from the very thing he has decreed against you. But as for me, verse 14 I'm in your hands. Do with me as is good and right in your sight. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, that you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. So then the officials and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets, No death sentence for this man, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord. And then some of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, now I'll tell you in advance what he's about to do. He's going to say, I can think of two examples where people came and prophesied about God to us, and one of them, we didn't kill him, and one of them, we did. And so they're trying to determine the judicial thing to do with Jeremiah, And the elders are now weighing in the balance. Should we kill this man? He's just told them, that's innocent blood. If you do kill me. And so now they're weighing it out. Should we kill him or not? So some of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. We looked at that prophecy. We looked at the book of Micah. So we're familiar with what Micah said to Hezekiah. He spoke to all the people of Judah saying, thus the Lord of hosts has said, Zion will be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will become ruins and the mountain of the house as high places of a forest. So did Hezekiah of Judah and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he had pronounced against them. But we are committing a great evil against ourselves. Indeed, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, of Kiriath-Jerim, And he prophesied against this city and against this land words similar to those of Jeremiah. When King Jehoiakim and all his mighty men and all the officials heard his words, then the king sought to put him to death. But Uriah heard it, and he was afraid, and he fled, and he went to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent men to Egypt, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, And certain men with him went into Egypt, and they brought Uriah from Egypt. They led him to King Jehoiakim, 
who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body in the burial place of the common people. So here they are trying to weigh it out. And while they're arguing back and forth about what to do with this man, oh, it's true, we've killed some of the prophets, but some of the prophets have not been killed. While they're arguing, verse 24, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given to the hands of the people to put him to death. So now, turn over to chapter 35, and you're going to find out what happened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was then put into house arrest, essentially. Eventually, he's going to be put into prison. But at this moment, he's just confined to his house. And because he's confined to his house, he can't go in to the house of the Lord. But God has given him another directive to go tell people things in the house of the Lord. And so he's going to bring Baruch in, his secretary. He's going to have Baruch write everything that he says and then make Baruch go read it in the house of God so that Baruch's the one that gets in trouble. And that way, uh, Jeremiah is ultimately going to be imprisoned. But first, this really interesting story. I was going to read chapter 36 just to show you what I just said about Jeremiah's scroll in the temple. But first, I want to read chapter 35 because it's just so very interesting. Chapter 35 is God using an example, an object lesson of a particular people who do something righteous because their forefathers told them to. And God is going to use the fact that they followed their fathers as an example to all of Judah so that he can say, look, that was just a man. And he said, do something. And all these generations later, his kids are still doing it. I've talked to you over and over and over again. And you don't do what I say, which makes you even more guilty. So he's going to talk about the Rechabites. We'll talk about who they are in just a moment because it comes up here in their history that they are the descendants of Jonadab. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Now, God knows that they have already taken a vow given to them by their forefathers that they would never drink wine. And so God is testing them. And God says, take them into the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink, testing to see what their resolve is. Then I took Jaazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and I took his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near to the chamber of the officials, which is above the chamber of Mahasiah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. How come these guys couldn't just be named Tim? I know. And then... The son of Dave. And I could read all these names then. 
So he takes them all into a, a private official's office, basically. And then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will not drink wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us saying, you shall not drink wine, you or your sons forever. Now that helps us connect who the Rechabites are because Jonadab is the man who went with Jehu to conquer Ahaz. And so we know that he was a righteous man. And then here are his sons who are also living in a Nazarite vow kind of way where they're doing exactly what their fathers have told them to do. This is how to live. And so they say, we will never drink wine because our fathers told us not to. They also said, verse 7, and you shall not build a house and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one, but in tents you will dwell all your days that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. So the Rechabites were nomads. They lived in tents. They never had land of their own. They didn't plant vineyards. Verse 8, And we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, he is our father, and in all that he has commanded us, not to drink wine all of our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, and we do not have any vineyard or field or any seed. We only dwell in tents, and we have obeyed and have done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came about, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, that we said, Come, let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans and before the army of the Arameans, so we have dwelt here in Jerusalem. So the reason that they stopped their nomadic life and had come to land in Jerusalem was because of Nebuchadnezzar's constant incursions into the land, working his way toward Jerusalem. And God just happened to know and told Jeremiah to go get them. He knew where they were. Very specific. They're here. They're in Judah now. Go and get them and give them wine. And they said, we don't drink wine. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again. Remember earlier, we read that he said, I sent you my prophets again and again, that same phrase, over and over, I've been communicating to you. I have sent you my word time and again, and yet you have not listened to me. So the very fact that the Rechabites were able to listen to their father Jonadab when he said, don't have land, dwell in tents, don't have vineyards, don't drink wine, the very fact that they were capable of obeying their father showed God 
that the people of Jerusalem were capable of listening and doing what they were told. And yet God says, I came and told you time and time again what to do. And you wouldn't listen to me. You would listen to a man like these men have, but you wouldn't listen to me. So, verse 15, also I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, turn now every man from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to worship them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I have given to you and to your forefathers, but you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. Indeed, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have observed the command of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not listened to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them. What we read previously was God was saying, if you repent, if you turn, there's still a chance I might change my mind and not do it. Now God's declaring definitively, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring all of this on you. Behold, I am bringing on Judah and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them because I spoke to them, but they did not listen. And I've called them, but they did not answer. And then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his commands, and done according to all that he commanded you? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. So just by keeping the word of their father, God was so impressed with their, with their faithfulness, with their continuity to doing what was right that God said they would never cease to have a man standing before God. Now, of course, commentators interpret that many different ways. They, some argue that that means among the Levites, that there's always going to be a, a son of Rechab standing in there. It also might mean that in the court of heaven, that there would always be descendants of his standing before them. Either way, what we know is God's word is true, God's word is accurate, and he has made a promise here to a family of people simply because they did what was right when the whole rest of Jerusalem wouldn't even listen to God. See, now I find that story interesting. Don't you? If my kids were here right now, I'd be saying, you know, turns out listening to dad's a good idea. Just send them the link. That's all I can do. So chapter 36, we're going to try to wrap it up with this. And it came about in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. We're still talking about the time of Jehoiakim. It came about in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, take a scroll and write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the day that I first spoke to you from the days of Josiah even until this day. 
So he's going to sit down, take a scroll, and prophesy every prophecy that he can remember. Everything that God has ever said to him is going to be written in this scroll. Perhaps, verse 3, perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way, and then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Notice, by the way, that God will ultimately forgive the sin of Judah. We've seen that repeatedly. And forgive the sin of Israel, but he's not going to be able to do it this way. He keeps saying, he keeps making the example, he keeps making it obvious. He keeps saying, I won't bring all this calamity on you if you can just whip yourselves up to do righteousness. And it just proves over and over again that they can't. They can't do righteousness, they can't follow the law of God, they can't do it. Now God has made promises to them, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, unconditional covenants where he's going to restore the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and he's going to remember their sin no more, cast it as far as the east is from the west, cast it behind his back into the sea of forgetfulness. He's going to ultimately reestablish Israel and Judah without sin, but he's not going to be able to do it this way. And so he's pointing it out to them very specifically. You have sin, you have iniquity. And if you turn from your sin and iniquity, I'll forgive your sin and iniquity. But you're not going to be able to do it. And that's why Jesus is so important. That's why Jesus is called the Redeemer of Israel. That's why it's so specific that he will come to save his people from their sin. All that language of the New Testament of what Jesus came to the planet to do as a redeemer, as a sacrifice, all of that has been prophesied over and over and over again as evidence that people simply cannot clean themselves up adequately to be good enough to get to God. That Jesus is going to have to forgive their sin and their iniquity. So here's God one more time making that obvious. Perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way and I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him on a scroll. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch saying, I am restricted. Remember earlier we talked about he's under house arrest. He can't go anywhere. So I am restricted. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. So you go and you read from the scroll, which you have written at my dictation, the words of the Lord, to the people in the Lord's house at the fast day. And also you shall read them to all the people of Judah who come from their cities. Perhaps their supplication will come before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the wrath of the Lord that he has pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book or from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And it came about in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that all the people of Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. So Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord 
in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house to all the people. And when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he went down to the king's house into the scribe's chamber, and behold, all the officials were sitting there. Now, if I were a smart person, I would skip over these names of all the officials that are sitting there. D.L. Moody did. D.L. Moody did? That's what he said. He said he came to a passage like this, he would pick up after the names. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a shot at them. Elishama, the scribe, and Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, and Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. I think Jeremiah even got tired of the names and decided it would just be and the rest of them. <laughs> and Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read from the book to the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shalomiah, the son of Cushi, to Barak, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read to the people and come with me. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and went to them. So they said to him, Sit down, please, read to us. So Baruch read to them. And it came about... When they had heard all the words, they turned in fear one to another, and they said to Baruch, We will surely report all these words to the king. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Then Baruch said to them, He dictated all the words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. And then the official said to Baruch, Go, hide yourself, you and Jeremiah. And do not let anyone know where you are. They assume when they tell the king, it's going to get bad. So they went to the king in the court, but they had deposited the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it out of the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and Jehudi read it to the king as well as to all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning in a brazier before him. And it came about when Jehudi had read three or four columns, not even the whole thing, the king cut it with the scribe's knife and he threw it into the fire that was in the brazier until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. So here's all the words of God, all the prophecies of God that have come through Jeremiah thus far, all the prophecies of God's anger and what he's going to do to Judah, and it makes it all the way to the king of Judah, and rather than call for national repentance, he cuts it up and burns it. Verse 24, yet the king and all his servants who heard all these words were not afraid nor did they rend their garments, which would have been a sign of repentance. Even though Elnathan and Deliah and Gamariah entreated the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, 
Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch had written at the dictate of Jeremiah, saying, Take again another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. But then God adds a few extra things. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll saying, why have you written on it? that the king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land and shall make man and beast to cease from it. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out into the heat of the day and the frost of the night. And I shall also punish him and his descendants and his servants for their iniquity. And I shall bring on them and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah all the calamity that I have declared to them, but they did not listen. Then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe, and he wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. Now, there are some who say that may have been the very beginning, the very formation of the early part of the book of Jeremiah, that they started copying and passing down that later scroll. But for the moment, go back to 2 Kings, because we have finally reached the point where we can go back to 2 Kings, which is technically the book we're in right now. Because God has just said that Jehoiakim's Progeny are not going to sit on the throne. And I just want you to see that that's exactly what happened. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 34. 2 Kings 23, 34. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah the king, he made him king in the place of Josiah his father and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz away, and he brought him to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land in order to give the money at the command of Pharaoh. He exacted silver and gold from the people of the land, each according to his valuation, to give to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zabida, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. And then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him. Notice it's the Lord that sent against the king of Jerusalem. It's God specifically who did it. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans and bands of Arameans and bands of Moabites and bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it 
according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Surely at the command of the Lord, it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood which he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiakim, his son, became king in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land again, for the king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river of the Euphrates. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king. He reigned for three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nahashta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon went up to Jerusalem and to the city, and it came under siege, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his captains and his officials, so the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. So for three months he ruled from Jerusalem, and then he was taken into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, and he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord, and all the treasures of the king's house, and all the pieces of the vessels of gold, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, just as the Lord had said. Then he led away into exile all Jerusalem and all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths, and none remained except the poorest people of the land. That's the difference between Daniel, like I said earlier, who went in the first wave of captives, and Ezekiel, who goes later in the poorer wave of captives. So he led Jehoiakim away into exile in Babylon, also the king's mother and the king's wives and the officials and the leading men of the land. He led them away into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon and all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the smiths, 1,000, all strong and fit for war. And these the king of Babylon brought into exile to Babylon. Now remember what we just read. That's the reason we're reading all this out of Second Kings right now is because God has said that Jehoiakim is not going to have his posterity sit on the throne. So verse 17, what happens? The king of Babylon, who has taken Jehoiakim's son captive, the king of Babylon made his uncle Mataniah king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. So it's not the descendants, the progeny of Jehoiakim who end up on the throne of Israel. It then goes to the brother of his father and his descendants, except that Hezekiah ends up being the last king of Judah. After that, they kind of get a governor. They kind of get a local mayor. and It just goes all downhill from there. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatol, 
the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For through the anger of the Lord, this came about in Jerusalem and Judah until he cast them all out from his presence and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. We covered some ground tonight. But I just wanted you to see what the end of Jehoiakim was, and I wanted you to see how the people of Jerusalem treated Jeremiah for the things that he was predicting. Next week, we're going to look at the prophecies of Jeremiah because Jeremiah doesn't stop. He's written down everything from Josiah until Jehoiakim in a scroll. And you would hope that God would go, okay, you're, you're done. You've been doing this for like 20 years now, so just kind of take a breath. God doesn't even let him breathe. Now Hezekiah is king, and now he has to start prophesying, even as Nebuchadnezzar is coming down on them, even as Nebuchadnezzar is taking them out of Jerusalem and into captivity, this is now Jeremiah's chance to say, this isn't forever. This is going to last for 70 years. But he also tells the people, get land. Plant vineyards, settle down, because you're going to be here a while. You're going to be here until God delivers you, which is, again, why Daniel ends up praying later to God. When he comes across Jeremiah's prophecy, he goes to God and says, the 70 years are almost up. You said it was 70. Just do what you said you were going to do. So there's lots and lots of stuff to cover yet, and I hope you see how the fabric of the Old Testament all kind of is woven together and And these parts of the Bible, I don't think you can really read chronologically. You have to go and grab a bit here and a bit from there in order to get the the historical context of all this stuff. Fair enough? I'm just pleased I got that all out in an hour. I'm I'm just... (laughs) If I had had one of those nights where I kept tripping over my tongue, we never would have made it. Are there any questions about that? Are you all worn out from Jim reading? (laughs) It seems to me that when we get to the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, both his parents were descended from David, but his father, earthly father, was descended from Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim's son. So through his earthly father, he had no right to the throne of David. Right. But through his mother, he did. And through his mother, he did. Yep. It's one of the miraculous little details. We've talked about it in years past. It's just one of those perfect little details where you see God remember everything he ever said. And then... Oh, and it makes genealogy so boring. And it makes genealogy so boring. And he just works it out so perfectly, so exactly. And the genealogies are so important for that reason. Because you can see that God is doing what he said he was going to do. But then once the seed comes... Ever since Abraham was promised a seed, there were always genealogies, genealogies, so that you could see the lineage when the Messiah got there. And once the Messiah came and he satisfied all those genealogies, Paul writes about not listening to endless genealogies. Because now he's here. Jesus is here. You You don't need all that anymore. But you need it in order to prove that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Who says the Bible's boring? You? You better not say it. It better not be you. I think the Bible's endlessly fascinating and interesting. I think it's going to keep us busy for eternity. I think so, too. I don't think we've begun to understand the depths. I don't think we've scratched the surface.
I have often thought in my little fantasy head every once in a while that the way God came to Solomon and said, ask for anything, that if God ever gave me that option, I think I'd ask for understanding of this book. Just really let me know what's going on. And then I think, if I really understood all the, the details and if I understood the breadth and depth of it, my head would explode. So, all right, let's go home. Pretty good night? Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.